when I was in seminary, uh, I got saved in 1988, and I knew God called me to use my big mouth to do something besides get in trouble. And um, I came from a fairly rough background and jumped in seminary, and I was actually working in wood shops at that time. Um, I had an accounting degree from Flagler, where I played baseball back in the 80s. Thought I was going to need to manage all that money I made as a pro baseball player, but Brian, that didn't quite work out. My second year of college, I figured that one out. And, uh, and can you imagine me as an accountant? <laughs> Dude, somebody would die, right, Jack? I'd be going postal worker. But, you know, I, I've used those skills a little bit, you know. I'm not nearly as good as Linda back here. I praise God for people like you because you got a totally different skill set. But I thought, you know, before I got saved, I thought I needed a, uh, a career change. And since I was doing art shows and I was doing all this art stuff, and, and I'd been through the accounting degree, I, I realized that there's no way to make money at art. So, it, it, like, all right, so how can I make money as an artist and, and still do my art? And I'm like, oh, dude, I can be an architect. So, <laughs> anyways, even though that's not really art, but I, I thought that I'd go back to school and try to get a degree. And this time, I was going to kind of learn how to, how to make things, how to do things, so I wouldn't be that architect that designs things that people couldn't build. And so I got a job in a wood shop, and I started, all right, you know, I've always, I, I did carpentry back in the day, rough carpentry. I was a union carpenter at Epcot and Disney back in the day, made good money, just basic labor, you know, carpentry type stuff, forms and footers, and, you know, I'd carried sheets of plywood up on the roof back in my younger days, but now I was like, all right, I'm going to go work in a mill shop, you know, it was called an architectural mill shop. And so I got in there and I started sweeping up, you know, sawdust from behind the planer. And I did a really good job at that. And so they gave me another job and another job. Next, I'm making louvers, dude, out of cedar, man. And this is like during the boom in Orlando. And I moved my way up and found out, dude, they would teach me as much as I wanted to know. And, and then one wood shop would close and you'd go to another wood shop and I'd start making some more stuff, making custom doors. In fact, when my kids were growing up in Orlando more than 17 years ago, uh, I would drive them nuts. I would drive to, oh, I built that cupola. Oh, see those doors? I built those doors. And they'd be like, yes, dad, we know you did all that. But um, so I enjoyed, you, you know, making stuff like that. Um, <coughs> well, I kind of worked my way up where there were, you know, I was almost halfway, you know, almost in the last stretch of seminary, and we were at this really cool wood shop where we were making stuff for Epcot. If, if you've ever been to Epcot and you go, I've not even really seen this at Epcot, but there, at Gelato's ice cream stand, there's a donkey cart. And I made that donkey cart. The first one, <laughs> dude, seriously, the first one came from Italy and it fell apart. And I got to remake it out of wood and Bondo and paint it because I was an artist. And got to repaint the donkey and fix the donkey parts. And that was my claim to fame. Man, we were doing cool stuff. Uh, I hear at, uh, uh, what is it, Hard Rock Cafe, there's these giant stained glass windows of like Chuck Berry and those guys. Well, I got to make all those giant frames for him. In Orlando, we were making cool stuff. And so there was three of us, four of us young guys at the time. There was a dude named Denny who didn't know Jesus. There was me who was in seminary. And there was another guy named Todd and another guy named Adam who were studying to, with New Tribes Missions. Their parents were New Tribes Missions, I remember. And they were, they were New Tribes missionaries get, you know, getting ready to go to school. So there were three of us Christians and one dude who wasn't a Christian. And we kept trying to witness to him all the time and share the gospel and trying to love him and everything. And um, so... Oh, you know, we're, we're building all this really cool stuff, and all of a sudden, one day, they bring in this old dude, and his name was Leon Bartkowiak. 
And he came from Poland, duh, <laughs> all right? Uh, Leon Barkoviak, and Leon Barkoviak was infamous in Orlando. Anybody familiar with Orlando in the 70s, maybe? Anybody ever heard of Church Street Station, Rosie O'Grady's, any of that? Well, Orlando was kind of like, downtown was ghetto, and this dude named Bob Snow bought it up. He went in and he turned, like, he made this classic woodwork, all this mahogany, everything, made these old-time saloons and just refurbished it until all of a sudden downtown Orlando was now a hot spot for Church Street Station Saloon. Well, this dude, Leon Barkoviak, was famous because he built all that with $5 an hour labor. He was so good that he could train anybody. And all of a sudden, they bring this guy in for us. We're experts. Dude, we're pros. We don't need Leon Barkoviak. What is he, what are you bringing this guy in for? And so we're all kind of looking at each other like, dude, we're gonna, we could all do Leon's job. He's an old dude. He doesn't even know, he doesn't know about all this new stuff. And Leon came in and said, I'm in charge. And we're like, oh, what's that gonna do to you guys when you're in charge? When you're in charge and all of a sudden they bring some old dude in to be in charge, what do you feel like? You're like, dude, no. <laughs> and so you got a choice. You can either submit or, or you can rebel, right? And, you, and, and we're like, all right, there's four of us against one of him, so we're going to prove. We're going to, because not only did he come in and say we're in, I'm in charge, you know what he did, Carl? He came in, he said, everything, I wish I could do it in his Polish accent, man. He said, everything you know is wrong. <laughs> everything we know is wrong. We're like, no, dude, we've been making this stuff. What are you talking about? He's like, everything you know is wrong, and everything I'm going to teach you is right. And, oh, dude. Jack, I'm a little prideful person, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm good at this stuff, dude. I made a donkey cart for Epcot, don't you know? <laughs> dude, I'm the pro at it. And he's like, everything you know is wrong and what I show you is right. Throw away everything. And we're just like, dude, no. And <clears throat> so I hung out more with the Christian guys. So me and Adam and Todd, lunch break, we'd be We'd go to the roach coach and be like Look at what Leon tried to tame us. He's making us do it this way, making us do it this way. And we're trying to drag, 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 uh, drag Denny into this, the lost guy, and we're trying to drag him into it, and Denny wouldn't participate. Denny was like sucking up to Leon. So we saw where that was going. He's sucking up to Leon, doing it Leon's way. And finally, man, we had had it, and we go to Leon, or we go to Denny, and we're like, Denny, what's up with this? And he said, well, you know, he said, if you start doing it kind of Leon's way, it makes a lot of sense. That was the last thing us prideful young bucks who were pros and experts wanted to hear. The lost dudes telling us about biblical submission. <laughs> Don't you understand? We're trying to overthrow this guy and run him out and have it the way we used to have it. And he would have no part of it. So we realized, man, if he's sucking up, we got to suck up or we're not going to have a job. So we start not biblical. I wish I could say it was in the Holy Spirit of God laid on my heart to submit. No, I just needed a job because I couldn't come home from another wood shop with a load of, a load of wood. <laughs> Every time a wood shop closed in Orlando, my wife would know because I had a Volkswagen bug with surf racks on it and I'd be loaded down with wood because they couldn't pay us so they'd pay us with wooden tools and I'd come home and we couldn't eat wooden tools, could we? <laughs> but we could make them into things we could eat. Like sawdust. No, I'm just joking. But so, anyways, <coughs> so we start submitting and start doing things Leon's way. He's thrown out a lot of modern things. He teaches us how to do everything with a bandsaw, with a table saw, and with the shaper that we had. And we're making like intricate radius casing crown mold, this big, huge stuff, incredible, crazy stuff. 
that, and he's teaching us how to do this. He's telling us his old wood shop in Poland was next to a river and had a, a wheel going with a shaft going through. And whenever you want to use a table saw, you took a lever and you put the belt on it and you used it. And we're like, dude, you can flip a switch now. <laughs> but it didn't matter. He learned how to do it with a table saw, a band saw, and with a shaper. And he taught us throughout everything else we had. And we had to learn to do it with that. And we started doing it. Now it became a challenge. It's like, well, we're just going to follow Leon. If we get in trouble, it's Leon's fault, not ours. Because when we rebel, we're going to get in trouble, right? So we start doing it Leon's way. And I learned how to do everything with a, with a table saw, a, a, a band saw, and a router. And one day, that wood shop shut down. And it was kind of the last one. My wife had kind of had it. <laughs> she was a legal secretary. And, 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 and there, there really wasn't another wood shop at the time. And I was almost done with seminary, Seth. And a dude from our church said, hey, Eddie, uh, God put on my heart to give you a thousand bucks. Now, back then, this was the 80s. That was a lot of money, not like now. But I'm just saying, he's like, uh, he put on, God, get, can you start a wood shop with a thousand bucks? And I'm thinking, you know, my dad and I, in a neighborhood where nobody cares, we just built a 12 by 24 foot shed. And nobody cares, we got trucks coming in, all this stuff. And, and I'm thinking, yeah. I went down to Sears and looked at their industrial stuff that they had with warranties and all this for homeowners, which is where it was gonna be. And guess what? I was able to buy for a thousand bucks. I bought a table saw, I bought a band saw, and I, instead of a big shaper, I bought a three horsepower router that I could bolt upside down under a table and use as a shaper. And with that, I could literally make anything that needed to be made. Yeah, we had sanders and different stuff. But because I learned from Leon, against my own wishes and desires at first, how to make everything with a bandsaw, a table saw, and a router or a shaper, I was able to run a business for a couple of years till I graduated. Now, running a business is, is, is subjective. Ask my wife. <laughs> I'm just saying I went to work every day and I cranked stuff out and made some money. But, but with all that, if I would have never submitted to authority, I would have never learned that. I don't know about you, but I sometimes have a problem with authority. Any of y'all have a problem with authority? Let me see your hand. Man, I want to share with you today. I could share with you many, many, many more stories of how God used authority in my life to shape me and to mold me and make me into something I wouldn't have volunteered to be. And I hope that through this message today, God will change your heart on authority. I'm not telling you just go suck up to whatever. I'm saying you live biblically, but understand authority is from God. And he uses authority to shape and mold you. And God is in control of your authority, whether they love him or hate him, whether they're totally against him or totally for him. God is in total control of everything. And nothing comes in your life unless it's by his design. And we know from Romans 8, 28 and 8, 29 and more scripture that it's all there for our good and his glory. And so here's what I want to present to you today is that, oh, ooh, look at this fancy little thing we got there, JJ. <laughs> Was that on purpose or were you just tired? Were you, you, oh, you just kind of did that? All right, dude, you, you know me, I'm ADD. Now I'm gonna spend five minutes talking about that flip. All right, so hang on. <laughs> here's what I want you to know, guys. God doesn't have a problem with authority. Do you? That's my question. Do you have a problem with authority? Because God doesn't. And yes, we are prideful. Yes, we want it our way. Yes, we think we know it's best. 
But God uses authority in our lives, and we can trust God. If we're following God, we can trust that he can use the most wicked authority to shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. So there it is. God doesn't have a problem with authority. The question is, do you? There's a verse that i was been thinking about. Last two weeks ago when I was studying for last week's message, this little section of scripture came up in Acts uh, 18, 9 through 17. And God said, stop, you're not doing that. You're doing it the following week. And he put to mind this scripture that's Proverbs 21.1. Proverbs 21.1, I'll teach it to you at the end. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and has the rivers of water. He turns it whatever way he wants. And that was the verse God used to solidify to my brain that he was in control of all authority and he was going to use them for my good and for his glory. And I kept thinking about that as I went through this story in the book of Acts. And so in this, the authority does what Paul wants, but not at all what the Jews who are trying to get Christianity stopped wanted. But you're going to see how God is even in control of people that want nothing to do with him. And you can trust God. You can trust God. And I want to share with you a way to pray for your authority. How many of y'all have authority that needs prayers? <laughs> yeah. Did you know, what does he even tell Paul tell Timothy? He, Paul tells Timothy, he said, if you want to live a peaceable life, he says, what you need to do is you need to pray for all those in authority. Dude, when's the last, you don't like the way some politicians do it, so when's the last time you prayed for them instead of cursed them? You don't like the way your boss is doing it, when's the last time you stopped talking about them and praying for them? You don't like the way the preacher preaches, you want better messages, what do you got to do, Karen? You got to pray for me, right? Yeah, you got horrible messages. It's because y'all ain't praying. It's not on my, it's not on me. No, I'm messing with you. Seriously, pray for those in authority. And sometimes we're so upset and ticked off and like, Rah! we got other people around us to have a pity party about our authority that we do just the opposite of praying for our authority. Do you believe God's a big enough God to change anyone's heart? Do you believe he's a big enough God to put enough pressure on somebody to make them do the right thing? Yeah. And if he doesn't, they get broken and you get new authority, all right? It's a, it's a no-lose situation. So the first point I want to make is the first part of this verse. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And that's what Proverbs 21.1 tells us. The king in Proverbs is anyone who's in authority. It could be a husband in that dreaded wife submit to your husband's thing, all right? And by the way, let me share this with you. When the Bible talks about submission, it's a military term that means to line up underneath somebody. And it means to do everything in your power to make them a success. Okay? That's literally what submission does. If I submitted to Leon Barkoviak, I would have done everything in my power to make that man a success. And eventually I did. He was at our wedding. And I wish I could tell you he gave his life to Christ. But I know we planted the seed. We didn't just tell him the gospel. After we submitted, we showed him the gospel. And I pray that I see him in heaven one day. The king is anyone who is in charge. Uh, and so if, and he always, what does God always tell us? Does God say, leaders, beat your subjects into submission? Is that what God says? No, he says, employees, what? Submit to your employers. Wives, submit to your husbands. He said, children, submit to your parents. And, and get, get this, he says, submit everyone one to another. Do you know what, Gary, wouldn't that be an awesome world you and I go surfing. We go out for dawn patrol in the morning, and, and it, we're like the chipmunks. No, you take that set wave. No, you take it. If, if we're doing everything in our power to make each person a success. No, instead of that, it's like, Gary, look over there. No. Oh, dude, you didn't see that shark? <laughs> it was like, 
seriously, man, we, if, if we all did everything in our power to make another person a success, wouldn't that be an awesome world? Yeah. Susan, wouldn't that be an awesome world? In a world especially where everybody's trying to make themselves a success? So the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. The king is anyone in authority. And their heart is where they make decisions. So the one in authority, where they make their decision, whose hand is it in according to scripture? God, the Lord. The Lord's in charge. Does it say, Roger, does it say only if they did their devotions that morning and had a good spiritual morning with God? Always. Always. What if they had a bad morning with God? What if they hate God? Yeah. What if they're purposely out to destroy God? Always. Always. God can use them. And I'll tell you how in the next part, but just understand the first part of this. God tells, is God a liar? Is God's word true? The king, whoever's in charge, their heart is in the hand of who? God. And by the same token, if you are a godly leader, where's the best place for your heart to be? In God's hand. You, you would rather it willingly be there, right? As opposed to God having to squeeze the submission out of you. Anybody ever had the submission squeezed out of you? Actually, just about shared that. Yeah, it was not a pretty sight picking you up in the shower naked with concussions after you passing out. I'm just, sorry guys. <laughs> you didn't tell us that part of the story. That was the most exciting part. No, but, dude, there's a thud. Ashley fell again. What's happening? We were praying for you to fall. No, I'm just joking. No. We weren't praying for that. We were praying for you to submit and God spoke. So the king, the one who's in charge, their heart where they make decisions is in the hand of the Lord. Check out this story and you will see it. Because this Roman, this guy who was in charge of this whole area could have caused trouble for all of the Christian church everywhere. But God had his heart exactly where he wanted it. Now it says, the Lord spoke to Paul. This is, we looked at this part last week. So I want you to see what God just told Paul before you see what happens. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, okay? Paul had a few visions in the book of Acts. This is one of them. And God spoke to encourage Paul. And what did he say? Do not what? Be Don't be afraid. So Paul must have been what? Afraid. Isn't that good news? If you're afraid, God can say, do not be afraid. When you are afraid, all right? And he says, but speak. Don't be silent. In other words, you know what? I know that every church you've planted, you've gotten run out of town. You've got beaten. You've got stoned to death. They left you there to die. I know I sent you back to that place. I've got you to encourage others to go back. He said, but man, right here, when you're in Corinth, the most important city of our time, the place where all shipping passes back and forth through, I've called you here. I've prepared you your whole life for this. He said, don't be afraid, but speak and don't be silent. He says, I am, and this is why you're not afraid, because what? I am? Yeah, if you got God with you, you don't have to be afraid. He said, no one will attack you and hurt you. And I might add this time. Because <laughs> there's other times where Paul goes and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you, but they are going to attack you and hurt you. You go read Paul's resume. It went both ways, but he said this time to him. He said, he said no one's going to attack you and no one's going to hurt you. Why? Because who's protecting them? God's protecting him this time. He's protecting him the other time, but he's got a purpose in the pain. He said, for I have, this is what God's trying to accomplish in Corinth. He says, I have many people in this city. God says, I have many people that belong to me, only they don't know it yet. They don't know it because they haven't heard the gospel yet. And Paul, I'm going to set you up to be able to 
disciple people and you and the disciples are going to tell many, many people about me and they're going to give their life to me and there's going to be a great Christian population in this place of Corinth. Now, the cool thing about Corinth, it's a lot kind of like this place here. You know what's so awesome? This church grows every week, but most of you guys leave. And then we get a new batch coming in and you leave. And it's actually kind of cool for an ADD pastor like me to see you guys once or twice a year. But, but literally, that's what Corinth, people would come in and they would be influenced and they would go somewhere else and they would spread that. New people would come in. And so it had, they were able to have a greater impact with the gospel in Corinth than any other place because people were always coming and always going. And if they understood their job as a church was to help people see life from God's perspective, then they could do what God wanted to do. They saw that that was way more important than having a big pile of Christians. Hey, you know what somebody said once? I think I shared this with you not too long. They said, Christians are like manure. How many of y'all thought of yourself like manure? Terry, you ever thought of yourself like manure? No, that's good. Listen, what he said, if you, one guy said that if you have a big pile of manure, what? Amy, what? Got a big pile of manure or what? It stinks, right? Yeah, nobody wants to. Yeah, big pile of manure stinks. But, but if you take manure and you start slinging it, dude, I should have brought some today and really illustrated this for you. If you take it and you start slinging it on the field and spreading it out, what does it do, Pittsburgh Rob? It fertilizes and it grows and it makes things productive. But if you just got a pile of it and let it sit there, it's going to stink, and it's going to actually ruin the ground underneath it. Isn't that what most churches are? I am so grateful to be pastoring you guys. Like a, You guys are like prime black cow, dude. <laughs> You've seen the stuff you pay extra for, man, the prime stuff. And, and you just get it, and you start slinging it all over the world, and the gospel grows, man. Ben, you never thought about yourself that way. Think about it when you go back to Virginia. You're a prime full, a handful of God's handful of manure right there, buddy. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I'm with you. No one will attack you and hurt you. I have many people in this city, man. That's what he's saying. I got people, and they need to hear the gospel. And that's what, man, Paul, that's why I'm going to protect you in all of this. So he promises Paul that's going to happen. In the same way when he promised the disciples, you guys are going to get in a boat, and you're going to go to the other side. Where were, they going to, where were the disciples going to end up, Mia? On the other side. And in spite of the fact that there was a giant storm between leaving and arriving, they didn't have to worry about it because he already told them they were going to be where? The other side. He already told Paul, man, dude, just go speak. I got your back. I got you. And so Paul has that promise from God at this point. And so what did Paul do? He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He knew that's what God had him for, and that's what he did. He didn't get distracted doing all these other things. He knew what his purpose was as a handful of manure in God's hand. He knew that he had to spread the word of God wherever he was at. And that's what he did. That's what we hear him say. He doesn't say, oh, dude, you should have seen the tents Paul made. After a year and a half, he was an awesome tent maker. And he learned how to make shoes since he was out of leather and all. You don't hear that. Dustin, what do you hear him doing? Yeah, spreading the word, bro. Thank you, man. I thought you had lights on, nobody home. That's why I picked on you, man. I know what that looks like. No, I'm just messing with you. Teaching the word of God among them, man. That's what he did. So now, look, here's where we end up. It says when Galileo, and did I say, how, did, how would you say that in Greek? Galileo? Okay, all right. Yeah, I just can't. Galileo? All right, I got it. All right. When Galileo was 
proconsul, that's kind of like the governor, the head of the area. He was the head dude. I think his brother was Seneca, who was a famous writer and author, and really tight with the emperor. So this guy was, this guy was an important guy, Galileo. He was proconsul of, of Achaia, this area. And so he's the dude in charge. He's got connections all over Rome and Greece at this point. Rome's in charge, and Greece is trying to hold on to something, but they're under Roman control. And this guy's important, and look what happens. The Jews who have been chasing Paul around. Now, the reason the Jews are chasing Paul around is because the, the Romans and the Greeks viewed Christianity as just a spinoff of Judaism. They're like, oh, it's just a type of Judaism. You guys are Baptists, you guys are Pentecostal, you guys are Methodists. They were viewing it that way. And the Jews are like, no, those Christians are nothing like us. And the Christians are like, no, we're not like the Jews. We believe in a resurrected Jesus. And so the Jews who are trying to separate things and say, these are not part of us. We don't believe that Christ is the Messiah. We don't believe in the resurrection. It says those Jews kept following Paul around, causing trouble. And the Jews with one accord. What does that mean, one accord, Zane? Together. Together, dude. That means everybody was focused on the one task of taking Paul down. But let me ask you a question, Roy. Did Paul have to worry about it? No. Why didn't he have to worry about it? Because God already had said, this is what you're going to do. And he even knew the leader was in God's hand, right? Yeah. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Paul didn't even have to concern himself. He didn't have to go get a petition. He didn't have to give a big speech. He, didn't have to, he was getting ready to, and he realized God already did it. <clears throat> so these Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul. He was outnumbered and brought him to the judgment seat, the Bema seat. Bema seat, sorry, Bema. It, yeah, and, and it's a, it was a place in the market that was a big seat, like concrete seat, where all of a sudden judgment would happen. And they brought him there, and everybody's against Paul. Oh, he's, he's doing this, he's doing that. And there he is on display at this point with the proconsul. Now I want you to think of the implications. If they determine Christianity is wrong, if they determine Christianity is against the emperor. They determine it's illegal. It's not only illegal in Corinth. Corinth's an important place. But they determine it's illegal in Corinth. Where else is it going to be illegal at? The entire Roman Empire. And that's going to be the end of the gospel. If they determine it's the end, or it's going to make it very, very difficult. But what in God's eyes, was this the end of the gospel? It was just the beginning, man. Aren't you grateful in 2000? What year is this, 19? Aren't you glad that the gospel didn't end right there? And so, so Paul didn't have to worry about it, but that was their key. If they could get them found guilty in, um, in, in this area here, um, then, dude, in Corinth, then it would be found, they'd be found guilty everywhere, and now their Christianity would be outlawed. Because the emperor had just made it illegal um, in Rome to be a Jew. <laughs> And so there was, a, there was a little bit of a trend to make all this stuff illegal. So this is crucial for the gospel. So they rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, in Rome, who was the, who was the God? Caesar. Huh? Caesar. Caesar, whoever was emperor, they were God. And anything, you, anybody you worshipped aside from that was illegal. And you'd be killed for it, and later they were, okay? Later they were martyred. But in the, in the beginning here, this is crucial for the start of the gospel in this area and the spread of it. 
And God wasn't ready for all that to happen, and so it wasn't going to happen. So bottom lines are saying they're not part of the Jews. They're not like us. They worship something different. Don't include them with us. There's somebody else. They need to be persecuted and outlawed throughout the whole empire of Rome. And they thought, man, sure bet, because this dude, um, what was his name again? Galileo. This guy had only been in office a couple years. And most of the people who were in charge were, they did whatever the people say. Aren't you glad our, our politicians, anyways, we're not going there. <laughs> they just did whatever would bring them the most votes. And if they had rebellion, they would be kicked out. So they were like, they weren't really making good decisions usually. They were making whatever decision was going to keep them in power and keep them in money. You know, that's what they were, that's what they were doing. So these Jews thought we got them outnumbered. This is a slam shut case. Boom, this guy don't have the guts to stand up against us. So look what happens. Oh, we got to look at the next part of, 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 of the verse in Proverbs 21.1. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And the next part of that verse says, like the rivers of water, God turns the king's heart wherever he wishes. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he could do that with the most wicked Satan-worshipping boss on the planet today? Yes. Can he do it with the most? Yeah, he can do it with anyone. And, and so like the rivers of water, God turns the king's heart. Let me ask you a question. You've seen a river turn, right? Okay. Um, is it just flat land and the river's just kind of meandering that way? Is that what happens? That's called flooding. What does a river have that puts pressure on it to make it turn? It's got banks. Rivers have banks. And what happens is when the water hits a bank, it creates, what's that P word? Pressure. It creates pressure and it hits the bank and it turns and keeps going until it hits another bank and there's more pressure. So when he says like the rivers of water, God turns the king's heart wherever he wishes. What does God put on the person in charge? What does he put on his heart to make him turn? Pressure. He puts pressure on them. Not you. <laughs> Not you putting pressure on the king like I want to do with Leon. But God puts pressure on the king. Like the rivers of water, God turns the king's heart wherever he wishes. He doesn't make anybody do anything, but he's like the IRS. He encourages and discourages certain behavior. Amen, Linda? All you got to do is change a law and make it more valuable for you to do something else. And what do you do? You do that because your accountant says there's pressure. Pressure being used to turn the king's heart the same way it would turn a river. Check out these last three verses. Three more verses, Terry. Check this out, man. You haven't even said a word yet. You're still recovering from your wife saying that she was, well, never mind. <laughs> Fernanda, I so appreciate every hug I get. Now I'll probably never get another one, but, man, I appreciate that hug you gave me up there. I know you really didn't want to do it, but no, I'm just joking. I'm messing with you. I love you so much. <laughs> All right. So look at this. When Paul was about to open his mouth, what was Paul getting ready to do, Roger? Open his mouth. And what was he going to do when he opened his mouth? Preach. He was going to defend himself. And I, we have all, you know, he was getting ready to defend and preach, teach the word and defend the fact that he is not preaching the same thing as the Jews. In fact, now it's an opportunity to tell everyone here about Jesus Christ and open his mouth. But that's not what God wanted at that particular time. Because look what happens. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo opened his mouth. And he said to the Jews, because God had put pressure on Galileo's heart, and he said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, which were sick of and 
and tired of you guys causing trouble and starting riots, which is what they were doing back in Rome and why they got kicked out. He said, man, if it was, O oh Jews, there would be reason why I would bear with you. If this was worth me dealing with, I would deal with it. But, look what he says, it is a question of words and names and your own law. Look to yourselves. I don't want to be the judge of such matters. He didn't see it as big as it was. He only saw it right there and said, you're just like squabbling over religion. It's like Seth having a theological debate with somebody over a version of the Bible. Where is Seth? Oh, way over there. Okay. Yeah. It's like us having a theological debate over a, over a verse because you read the Hebrew and I read Strong's. I'm just joking. But it's like we're just in there and, and, and the pro-council saying, get out of here. It was a way bigger topic than what the proconsul made it, but who made it a small topic in the proconsul's heart? God did. And that was good for the spread of Christianity at that point in time. Man, he said, I don't want to be the judge of such little matters as this. And look what it said. He drove them. It wasn't like he argued and let them argue and got his opinion changed. He's like, now get out of here. Go. I don't want to deal. I'm not wasting my time on this anymore. He drove them out, so it was done deal. It was signed, sealed, and delivered. And the gospel now could continue. Now the gospel is going to continue because you know we've talked before and we've seen in the book of Acts that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. The more you shed the blood of true Christians, the more the church grows. That has been the story of it. And that's perhaps part of the problem in America. But that's another message another day. So he drove them away because right now, God, by pressure that that king didn't even know about, had his heart directed to not even play with them in all of that. So look at this. <clears throat> then all the Greeks took, so, so, how do you say that? Help me out with this one, Aphrodite. Sothenes. Yeah, dude, my mouth doesn't even do that right there. <laughs> Sothenes. Okay, Sothenes. Maybe if I had a piece of baklava in my mouth, I could yeah. say it. But Sothenes. Yeah. All right, yeah. So look at this. But some of your versions might say they. They don't really know who they is. Some people thought that maybe it was the Jews because we know we, we have a strong suspicion that Sothenes, who, who is the ruler of the synagogue, after the last dude, Justice, from last week got saved, hearing... Paul's preaching, and the power of the Holy Spirit. He got saved. Sothenes, this dude's sausage. We're going to call him sausage. He, dude, he got, he's now the leader of the Jews, and he may have already been born again and wasn't really presenting a very good case to, to, to uh, the leader, and they got ticked off at him. So we don't really know who beat him up, but look what happens. They took this dude, sausage, and they, uh, the ruler of the synagogue, all right, so how do you say it, Emily? Sothenes, okay? So they took Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and look what they did. They beat him before the judgment seat. So bottom line, dude, not only did Galileo say it's a done deal, but do you think this dude Sothenes is going to open his mouth again about and bring this back up? You think he's going to issue have an appeal? No. He just got the snot beat out of him. And many even believe that possibly after he got beat up, that the Christians then came and ministered to him, like with the Philippian jailer, and that when they ministered and showed love to the one who came against him and tried to shut him down, that it was because of that he saw the love of Christ and got saved. We don't know. I can't wait to see it on Godflix when we get to heaven. How about you? <laughs> man, I wonder if instead of popcorn, we're going to have mana machines. That's going to be, anyways. 
just something I'm thinking about. It's getting close to lunch here. We're, it's, all right, so almost done. All right, so they took him, and, and they beat this guy. We know that later he got saved. It was a cool thing, and, and, and they beat him before the judgment seat. But look at this. Galileo took no notice of these things. Why did he not take any notice? Because he didn't care. Why didn't he care? Because his heart wasn't in it, and his heart wasn't in it because who had his heart? And God made his heart not care. So it worked out the way Paul wanted, but it also sometimes doesn't work out the way we want it. Like when I had to submit to Leon Barkoviak. But that did work out the way I wanted it. And so God's taught me a lot about this authority thing and taught me a lot about this power. So let's, let's take a look at this, this thought right here. God uses people in authority to make us more like him. Because let me ask you a question. Are you just going to become more like him on your own? No, we want to sit on our spiritual couch, eating our spiritual bonbons, and soaking it in through osmosis, or, or at least the praise channel, whatever, you know. But God knows it takes a, 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 a what kind of hammer, Rogers? A sledgehammer, a sledgehammer, a sledgehammer on the forehead with a chisel. And, dude, be, be cool because soon he's not going to be using a sledgehammer as much. He's going to be using a Dremel tool. That feels much better. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yay, God. But he's always working on us to make us more like him. And he's using people, and especially people that we don't like. <laughs> Some of your toughest critics. And he's not only using them to change you, but man, you know what else he's using them to change? That person. When they can't understand the submission that the Holy Spirit of God has put in your heart. That's called love. The love, it's easy to love somebody that loves you, but to love somebody that hates you, man, that gets people's attention. It's like dumping coals on their head when they're cold. It warms them. God uses people in authority to make us more like him. Look at this, whether or not we want to be more like God. How many of y'all have ever like vehemently resisted your authority, rebelled against authority? And you know what, if we do it long enough as believers, we can come up with enough Bible verses, enough justification to prove that that person is, is of the devil and they are not the person we're supposed to be under. And we can prove that they're, that they're, they're, they're encouraging us to do something against God. Any of you ever justified that and missed what God was trying to do in your life? Next time you have a squabble with authority, man, I want you to see it from a different perspective first. I want you to ask God, God, are you using this person in my life to make me more like you? Instead of getting out and getting easy and, and putting up, you know, and getting to a, a better situation, so to speak. What would God have to do to change you? And again, I'm not saying you don't have to get out from different authority. There's many reasons when you do have to get out from authority. But I got a feeling in this day and age, a lot of times when we scoot out from under our authority, it's simply because we don't want to be hit in the head with a what? Sledgehammer. A sledgehammer. I don't blame you. But if it's going to make you look more like Christ on the other side, it's well worth it, isn't it? Yeah. So God uses people in authority to make us more like him, whether or not we want to be more like God or they want to be used by God. A lot of times they don't even want to. They would, they would argue that they're not being used by God. What greater proof that they were used by God than you become what God created you to be in that? Look at this. Here's the verse. And then I've got a prayer for you after this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. There's Proverbs 21.1. 1. 
Through the years since Leon Barkoviak, every time I have a problem with someone in authority, I go back to that verse and ask God to teach me. And I ask God, how do I pray for someone in authority that I have a problem with? Because I'm supposed to pray for them, right? And you know what my prayer used to be? God, let me show them where they're messed up. Isn't that what we want to do? God, oh God, your supernatural, infinite wisdom and providence. Get me a meeting with them by themselves so I can read them out. <laughs> Jack, isn't that what we want to do? Oh, sometimes, man. In the flesh, we want to do that. But let me ask you a question. Who is better at putting pressure on your authority? You, as the one in submission, or God, who they're in submission to? Who's more powerful? God. Who's more wise? God. God, who can do a way better job? Who can mess everything up by trying to do it? Me. Me. Yeah. But we don't see it that way. And that's what God wants me to preach this morning. The king's heart's in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Look at this. Last slide, I believe, are for me. And then the, oh, dude, look at there. We're flipping. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know, JJ, if you make him go that way, I'm going to chase him. <laughs> but all right. So look at this. <coughs> Here's my prayer. Whenever I have a problem with authority, if I can get my pride and my anger out of the way, that's me. Because a lot of times I, I miss this. A lot of times my pride is in the way. My anger's in the way. My frustration's in the way because you're messing up my plan. But when I get out of the way or come to this first, which is the best option, here's my prayer. God, please show them where they're wrong. So Gary, who am I asking to show my authority where they're wrong? God to do it because he's way better than me. He's going to have much better words. Think about Nathan, uh, Nathan when he had to, had to go talk. Wasn't it Nathan, the dude who had to go confront David about his sin? Huh? Yeah. Think about if somebody gives you the job. Go to the most powerful person in the world. I'm going to hook you up with them. And I want you to tell them that they're guilty of adultery, of murder, of treason, of all these things. Right, Jeff? Uh, that, that's your job. Okay. Rory, who would you want to help you do that? God, yeah. Oh, David, I heard that you like uh, slept with Bathsheba and you should have been out to, and, and you know, no. No, but what did he do? God gave him a plan. He came to David and said, David, there was a guy who had one little sheep that he loved more than anything. And this other guy had a ton of them. The guy with a ton of sheep had some friends come over and they were going to have a party. And he was going to cook sheep and he could have taken it. But you know what he did? Dude, this guy put clothes on his sheep. You ever see people put clothes on their dog? How many of y'all put clothes on your dog? Oh, I'm going to pray for your dogs. No, well, listen, it's all good if that's what God told you to do with your dogs. All right, but he said, this, man, this little sheep slept with him. This little sheep had clothes, man. This little sheep went to the market. No, this little, that was piggies that went to the market. This little sheep had a bow peep and everything. It was all there. But the dude, instead of taking one of his sheep, he took the one dude's only sheep. David, what do you think about that guy? What David's like, oh, no, that's not right. He said, David, that's you. Where did that story come from? Where did that confrontation come from? It came from God, not from him. And so, man, isn't it much better if we let God show them where they're wrong? But what are we afraid of? That God's not going to do it fast enough? God's not going to do it in my time? God's not going to do it before it's too late? God's not going to do it as thorough as I could. We're afraid of a lot of things, but we need to lose that fear and let God deal with our authority. 
and let him show them if they're wrong. Because you know what? They may not be wrong. God may just be using them to fix us. And that comes to the second part of that prayer. Please show them where they're wrong. And please show me where I'm, help me. Ooh, doesn't that hurt? Show me where, where, where I might have just tweaked it a little bit the wrong way. Show me where I just quite, you know, I missed like one. I got everything except that, gotcha. No, where I was wrong. That's hard for us in our pride. And you know what? Since I've been praying this since the Leon Barkoviak days, in 1988, 89, 90, whenever all that went down, man, since I've been praying that, guess who God has been convicting more than the people who I've been ticked at? Me. Almost every time I pray this prayer, you know what he has the audacity to do? He shows me and authority. Yes, thank you, Susan. He has the audacity and authority to show me where I'm wrong. And I have learned over the years that God uses authority in my life to mold and shape me like a sledgehammer and a chisel, man. And, and then a little hammer and a chisel and then a Dremel tool and then some sandpaper. But tell me how good 80 grit sandpaper feels on your backside. You know what I'm saying? Even that's not pleasant. But if it's going to make me look more like Christ, what more could I ask for? What a privilege to be like Christ. That's the only way I can be an ambassador for him. An ambassador isn't somebody going and trying to make somebody in a foreign country part of their country. An ambassador just goes to another country and represents their country. And our job as ambassador to Christ is go and represent this God's kingdom to this world. And I can't do it looking like me. I can't do it acting like me or being like any of you. <laughs> you think that's funny, Garrett? <laughs> I, what I, what I can, how I can represent it is that when the world sees God changing me, when I see him, people are like, wow, what happened? I'm like, yeah, I'm becoming more like Christ, <laughs> you know, and I can tell them how it all happened. But man, when the world can see those changes, when they see our humility, when they see that he's really in charge, wow, what could be so awesome that you would want to let him be in charge? He's awesome. So awesome. I want him to be in charge of everything in my life. And if he wants to use some wretched, horrible boss or authority to do it, I'm down with that. Because let me ask you a question. Is that boss going to be able to do anything that God hasn't allowed him to do? He's under God's total sovereign control. Because you know what? He goes past the line where God wants him to go or allows him to go. God can take him out. Go ask Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Go ask any of the leaders that rose and, fall and fell. Daniel tells us God puts them up and takes them down, and he does it on all levels. So here's the prayer I want to challenge you with when you have a problem with authority. When you get stopped for doing 37 on Indian River Drive, because it's 35. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. No, I'm just saying, man, when, whenever you have a problem with authority, God, show them where they're wrong, and God, show me where I'm wrong. And see where that works, because... There's nothing we can do to change them, really. That's God's job. And God may be just using it to change us. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I'm thinking of the ultimate submission to authority. And that ultimate submission is when we realize that we're sinners. And that 
According to Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is eternal separation from you, eternal death. And we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of your glory, Father. We've never been perfect. We've not all done everything right. We've done things wrong. And we've earned a free trip to hell because of that. But you tell us that what Christ did on the cross is offered us a free gift of eternal life. And that you would even give us the faith through grace to believe that what he did on the cross was sufficient to be our substitute, to pay for our sins. And if we would just surrender, give full submission at some point in some time, surrender all we know about ourselves to all we know about you, Father. All we know about you, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would have eternal life. And that eternal life lasts forever. So, Father, that's the ultimate submission. If there's someone here that's never truly submitted everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you, Father, I pray that they would participate in that ultimate act of submission today. Because you're not going to find anyone who's ever participated in that and wish they hadn't, but thousands like me that wish we had done it sooner. And it's going to be pretty awesome because we not only have you living in us now, guiding and directing us, letting us represent you now, but we have a home in heaven where we will be in perfection with you forever, not because we were good or bad, but because of what you did on the cross, Christ. So, Father, if there's someone here that needs to make that ultimate submission, Father, give them a desire they can't refuse to be able to do that and not worry about what comes next, knowing that in faith you will show them everything they know, need to know at any given point. But, Father, for those of us that are believers that have made that ultimate submission, by your grace. Father, I pray that that submission would continue in every aspect of our life. I pray, Father, that we'd be the best employees, we'd be the best spouses, we'd be the best children, we'd be the best citizens. Father, I pray that we would walk around in submission to everyone, trying to do everything in our power to make everyone a success because you give us love for everyone. And the way you give us love for everyone is by us falling in love with you. So help us fall more in love with you so we can love others and make our life about others and making them a success because that would be pretty awesome for us also. So, Father, I pray that you would take this message and you would apply it in each of our hearts the way it needs to be applied and we would become more like you and the end result would be you would be more glorified. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.